Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill and happy, 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 happy 2018. This is the first show that Jim and I are recording in 2018. I feel all new and tingly. I think part of the tingliness, Jim, that we're in the middle of a snowstorm as we record this. How's it going, Jim? Blizzard, blizzard land. Our local weather people have been coaching us about the visibility and the wind speed. And I'm, I'm sitting here looking at our front window at at whiteout conditions. So it, if this is the last show we record, it, it, it's been a slice, Len, but... <laughs> this has just been great. Yeah. yeah, you said you're down to, what, a, an eighth of a tank of uh, heating oil? Yeah, the weather's been so terrible just getting the, the oil delivery to come out. So it's like, again, folks, it, it's been real, but but if you have to chip me out of the ice, it's, it's put me next to Walt. <laughs> For the further adventures of Jim's frozen head. I, there we go. I kind of like this on a t-shirt. I think it sounds good. There we go. All right, Jim, I spent a part of my New Year's holiday in Disneyland. And let me tell you, it was fantastic. Quick question. You weren't there the day they lost power for the afternoon, right? No, they had uh, they had recovered by then. That was late in the in December on the 30th. This mm-hmm. was, I went on January 2nd. So oh, okay. There were still some fairly large crowds at DCA and Disneyland. We bought the, uh, the two-park hopper, started off in Disneyland as mm-hmm. God intended. I think despite having just finished a really, really busy winter holiday, mm. the park looked fantastic. All of the paint looked good. I, I paid particular attention on Main Street mm-hmm. to how the, the maintenance is going. You know, in Disneyland, they've got arcade games and they've got little touches like working phones mm-hmm. in the bakery where if you pick up the receiver, you can hear the party line. Mm-hmm. All of it was working, everything worked. More importantly though, it was the first time I'd ever seen Small World Holiday. Um, I know. Yeah. I know. Yeah, in my country where I grew up, they didn't have Small World Holiday apparently. <laughs> so it was beautiful. I'm told that they, they just keep adding decorations to it every year. I mean, Small World is a, is a fairly densely packed attraction with tons and tons of things to see. This was even more impressive because they had Christmas effects. Well, and remember, that's the one that sort of plowed the road for the other seasonal overlays, the Jingle Cruise and Haunted Mansion Holiday. If it hadn't been for Kim Irvine and her team who saw the opportunity there, for me, what's intriguing is to mix the small world theme with other insidious holiday songs and just to find that, oh, great, now I've got three different earworms in my head as I walk around the park. I was paying particular attention to the transition between It's a Small World and Jingle Bells. Mm-hmm. And that seemed to go pretty well because, again, it's two songs that never end. Yep. We need to bring Gregory back on the show to explain that, but that was fun. Mm-hmm. Also did Haunted Mansion Holiday. Mm-hmm. That was good. The thing that I was impressed with in Disneyland was looking at how they're going to transition into the new Star Wars construction. Now, so apparently there are going to be two different ways that you'll be able to get into Star Wars Land or Galaxy's Edge from Disneyland. One is basically walking into the park and starting a clockwise tour, walking towards up into Critter Country and mm-hmm. past that. And that is an interesting path because not many people get all the way back into Critter Country. Let's face it, the many adventures of Winnie Pooh, the, the Winnie the Pooh ride is not that popular mm-hmm. in Disneyland. And in terms of restaurants, the more interesting thing is the Hungry Bear restaurant's right there. And that's a good restaurant. But that I don't know that that has the capacity for Star Wars Land's crowds. If you talk with the Galaxy's Edge design team, the layout of Disneyland actually drove the look of what 
it's also being built in Florida. In fact, mm -hmm. there the transition is going to be a little tougher because, face it, when you go past the Hungry Bear, there was already a pine forest there that they'd used for the backdrop. And right. the interesting thing is, as you transition through that forest, when you come out on the other side, you're going to find a fleet of X-Wings parked. And that's actually where they're supposedly recruiting you to go up against the Empire. But the thing for, if you, you do it in Florida, you go off of Grand Avenue, walking past Muppet Studios, into a pine forest. It's, it's not quite going to be the smooth sort of transition that you get out in California. But that'll be okay. I mean, they do what they can with it. I did think that in looking at the models in uh, the Star Wars launch bay in Tomorrowland at Disneyland, that the layout was geared more towards Disneyland than Disney World. Oh, definitely. Okay, I don't know if you've seen any of the more recent aerial photographer but they are really moving along they've gone vertical in a big big way oh yeah in fact there is a fairly large tower structure in disneyland that's visible not quite from Fantasyland, but getting up close you can see that there's a mast of some kind mm -hmm. in disneyland that's fairly well along the other way that you'll be able to get to galaxy's edge is through Fantasyland, mm -hmm. sort of like the old way you used to get to, to frontierland and that is going to be i think a little less woodsy in the entrance if you come in through the Fantasyland side, you know, through the old Big Thunder Ranch setup, mm -hmm. this you, you enter a street scene and you, you're literally there as the Kylo Ren character and some of his stormtroopers have just landed and are beginning a search for rebels. And uh, okay, okay. that whole upper street structure there is where an elaborate stunt show is going to play out several times a day. Depending on which of these two ends you come in, you get two very different experiences. Did you make the trip up Big Thunder Way, the walkway that goes around Big Thunder? or Yes. Okay, because right in the middle there, there is in fact a third entrance that basically drops you in in the dead center of Galaxy's Edge. And okay, there were some construction walls. Remember where the old the barbecue place? Yep. Mm -hmm. There were some walls there, and I, I sense that's where the alternate entrance was going to yep. be. If you get dropped there, I mean, you have this sort of neutral experience, but if you walk just a street or two back there, this mm -hmm. is where the Millennium Falcon is hidden, and that's where the oh, pilot is. Okay, okay. So, yeah, I mean, it's just, honestly, Disney's never done a land of this size and, you know, with three different storytelling points. And that's the one thing I guess Florida won't have is that third entrance. But, of course, we don't get the third entrance in Florida because that's where the extra street goes for the hotel. Right. It's a good trade-off. I'm, I'm all for it. I think in looking at Disneyland, I would be surprised if on opening day, mm -hmm. they let people queue in Fantasyland to get in. My sense is they will route people either all the way through Critter Country to get in because the line's going to be so long, or through the Frontierland middle that we talked about. And the reason I think that is that there would be so many people flooding Fantasyland mm -hmm. that you wouldn't be able to get on any of the rides. And so looking at the logistics of that, I think Disneyland's going to do a one-way in, one-way out. The other thing I heard, and I, and I wanted to, to know if you had heard this, while Disneyland's version might technically be finished first, mm -hmm. they're both going to open on the same day. So if Disneyland's version gets done first, they will rent out the land or use it as a hard ticket or special event space. So both of them are going to be open to the general public on the same day, from what I understand. But if one finishes before the other, the plan is for Disneyland to hard ticket the land to make some more money. Have you heard that? Ooh, I have not, but I will I will start working my trap line and All right. making phone calls. What I was hearing out of earlier conversations is Disney World was actually quite anxious 
to have the Disneyland version open first because it's like you figure out how to handle the crowds and then we'll apply the lessons. Both of them would be learning at the exact same time. That can't make people in Orlando happy. You know, there is a genuine level of fear about how do we handle these crowds. It's definitely a concern. It was something I'd heard. I wasn't uh, wasn't sure about it, so I figured I would okay. ask you. The other the other thing, two things that we saw, mm-hmm. uh, got one last ride on California Screaming mm-hmm. before all of uh, Paradise Pier gets redone into Pixar Pier. I understand that's going to be a relatively straightforward overlay. Yeah, I mean, you are getting a sort of a pre-show scene with, with Edna Mode and Jack-Jack as you sort of roll out of the station. And what I love about this is that they're actually changing at least the pre-ride, the queue area. This is going to be Lentesta land. This is mid-century modern land. As it should be. <laughs> I just love that, that they're doing that sort of overhaul for that after this bare bones existence it's had since the, the park opened in 2001. It was funny, though, even though it was a, there was a holiday uh, you know, week and the crowds were still above average for it, that our, uh, our wait to, to use it, even if we hadn't used MaxPass, mm-hmm. was less than 20 minutes. So it was good. But the thing I liked most mm-hmm. in DCA, we rode Guardians of the Galaxy, mm-hmm. Mission Breakout. You know, originally, I'm, I'm not, I wasn't a huge fan of bringing Guardians of the Galaxy into the theme parks, especially in Hollywood land, because I didn't think it would have uh, fit. I've changed my opinion of it. I like the ride quite a bit. I like it actually better than Tower of Terror mm-hmm. in DCA. No, I felt the exact same way since this thing opened May of last year. I mean, I, honestly, I think it's it's the best thing Disney's added to the parks in like five years. Yeah, the story makes sense, but but I was trying to figure out why it works there. And the only thing I could come up with was that land was only so lightly themed to begin with mm-hmm. that adding Guardians of the Galaxy doesn't really upset the apple cart in terms of theming. Mm-hmm. Sure, okay. You want to put a Guardians of the Galaxy right there? Sure. The Collector? Okay, makes sense. Why not? Right. Well, and also when you remember that in five years' time, and see what they, how they handled the Hyperion Theater during that period, because that whole land is going Marvel. Yeah, I walked through a Bugs Land one last time to, and got my last photo on uh, Heimlich's Choo Choo Train. Yeah. And that I figured that's just, I'm not going to see it again. Well, <laughs> so. supposedly Flick's Flyer is the one thing that's going to survive, though that's going to go down toward the end of the Incredicoaster. And that's going to be rethemed around Inside Out. <laughs> that's kind of funny, actually. I like it. All right. My understanding is they're going to warehouse some of this stuff for a while. There's going to be a pause after they get Pixar Pier up and running as they determine whether or not they want to continue to march it up the street toward Mermaid. And whether that means, in fact, that Goofy Sky School or we see some other Pixar characters brought in to make this a full land because that's the imagination's response to galaxy's edge they just feel that when you're turning people away from disneyland at 10 o'clock in the morning and that is the honestly the genuine fear oh it, it totally happened it's completely gonna happen yeah so it's just like you have to have ip that people really are excited about disney's way of thinking so we got star wars in disneyland guts up pixar's presence in a big way in dca likewise marvel and that's the next five years my understanding is Bugs Land will hang in there in its current form till right after the holidays of 2018. 18? And then January yeah. 2019, construction goes, walls go up and that gets flattened, mostly because, again, you know, the pivot at that point will be promoting heavily, come to Batu, go experience Galaxy's Edge. And, and hopefully by then also on the heels of the opening of Pixar Pier, we'll get more details about the Marvel Land expansion for the Hollywood Studios backlot area. 
Got it. So that was that was my trip. It was uh, it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it quite a bit. Mm-hmm. I was glad to see it. The food was uh, good. The people were good. Everyone was super friendly, mm-hmm. and everything looked like it was working. So. Good trip, all in all. Did you get down into downtown Disney at all? To because uh, I guess the cinema, Rainforest Cafe, uh, you know, all of that starts to go away. What now? I barely walked through the the thing that we were we were coming in from offsite. The thing that we noticed was that there was still not a great way to enter the park mm-hmm. if you were uh, coming from offsite. Yeah, and that's honestly going to get tougher with the construction of the new parking garage. Just talking with friends here in Anaheim, the, the survey markers are up all over property out ahead of the construction. And I just... Are they really? I cannot imagine what it's going to be like getting in and out of that garage this summer. What with the second giant parking garage being built right next to Mickey and Friends. So. Yeah, we'll see. But like I said, the, the park looked really good. I was very happy with it. Okay. Changing the subject here. Now... So you're out in California, so you haven't yet made it to Florida, right? Uh, Not yet. Going in a few days. I'm going to genuinely be intrigued to hear your thoughts about the new Hall of Presidents, which, again, I'm embarrassed. We did our year-end show, our looking back at 2017, and didn't mention that on December 19th, in a relatively quiet way, Disney reopened the Hall of Presidents with the Donald Trump AA figure doing the now standard speech of the seated president. And I've been talking with friends at Imagineering, and it's fascinating that nobody wants to step up and take credit for the changes in the show. I mean, normally when you make... Yeah, normally normally Disney walks out an Imagineer who who worked on it, Mm -hmm. and they, they talk about their inspiration for it what they were going for, how much fun it was to work with it. Yeah, there was a lot, right? Mm-hmm. And this just dead silence. Nobody wants to talk. I mean, and, and the interesting thing is if you you watch the show online, there were a ridiculous amount of changes made to this thing. Right. And to be honest, I kind of found it unfair that the media sort of fell like wolves on the Trump likeness because let's be completely honest, if you look at the Obama figure up close that likeness really doesn't hold it doesn't i don't i don't think the president obama figure looked especially like president obama but that said Mm -hmm. the trump aa figure is hideous let's call it what it is did you see madame tussauds wax museums tweet (laughs) for our listeners there's a there's a meme a a popular meme Mm -hmm. meme it was uh, at the end of the year it was me at the beginning of 2017 versus me at the end of 2017 and the idea is you have these sort of before and after photos madame tussaud actually tweeted out a picture of donald trump during the inauguration as their me at the beginning of 2017 and at the end they used a close-up of the hall of presidents animatronic face which again is not very good. Well, I actually, Len, just to clarify here, the, the picture they use, that's their Trump figure. Oh, they use their Trump figure. Oh, okay. Even, even funnier now. Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, that, that's the thing. that I got to interview the woman who's in charge of the the figures for the Orlando, the Madame Tussauds that's on iDrive. And, oh, and, really? And yeah, they actually had a whole binder on Trump and every week they take the head off the figure and take it out back and restyle the hair because... It is such a distinct hairstyle, and they really value, they want that killer likeness, and, and wax is a amiable substance. Right. Talking with folks on Imagineering, though, they push back, and it's like, look, if you want to be completely honest, since 93, 
you know, when we started having the president's talk, you know, when we had Clinton talk and the Clinton likeness, if you double back on that and, and look at the, the video that's out there, the Clinton likeness isn't all that great. The Bush likeness isn't all that great. But the argument always is, is like, look, this show isn't a close up. This show is a tableau. You're supposed to stand back 300 feet and it's seeing all of these chief executives gather together on stage and that, you know, you're not supposed to be six inches away from Trump's face. You're supposed to be 60, you know, 70 feet back and taking the sweep of the show. That said, flat out had imaginers tell me they weren't real thrilled with the audio they got back from the White House. But again, the, he, he gave them 20 minutes to record this. Yeah. He read it quickly and then just like, all right, you know, I, I think they got two takes out of him. They wanted three, but it's like, he's the president. You get the time, you get the time. Yeah. And this is what they could do with that audio. And part of the, the problem is that we've seen Trump on television every day. We've seen Trump on television for years. And with a figure that it's basically nailed to the floor, I got this full dissertation about he talks with his chin thrust out. He constantly, and that RA figures are not built for chin talk. Oh, okay. I, I, I can see that then as a, as a possible explanation for why the face looks the way it does. But anyway, long story short, Imagineering had a very blue Christmas, largely because this is the first time ever that they've added something to the Hall of Presidents and just been hammered by the media. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, Seth Meyers is using the... Seth Meyers, by the way, who is no fan of, of Donald Trump, mm -hmm. is using Disney's Hall of Presidents face for Donald Trump as the caricature in his nightly news. So that's the standard face now of Donald Trump yeah. on Seth Meyers' show. All the late-night comedians did a, a bit on it. Many did it for a couple of days. I, you know, I got to say, it's not the best work that Disney's ever done. I mean, it even goes so far as to say it's not appropriate for the president. That's something that needs to be re you know, fixed. Yeah. Take it down now and it's like conspiracy, but... Uh, oh, no, no. That's just speaking of which, I, I did want to point something out. There was a lot of talk about how it took Disney 11 months to get the Hall of Presidents back up and running again. And, and you and I talked about the fact that they seem to be dragging their feet this time. But it, it's worth yeah. noting, though, that when, when they brought the Barack Obama figure in, they closed the Hall of Presidents out ahead of the election in 2008. It actually closed on Halloween night. And it wasn't until July 1st of 2009 that the show came back up again. So that was eight months versus 11 months. So, All right. Close enough. I just feel bad for the, the Imagineers to have the all of the night comedians going to sort of fall on it. It's it's not been a happy time for Imagineering. You think they'll pull it down during a refurbishment and, uh, and redo the face? It's one thing to have the mainstream media and... and you know, the press kind of teasing and, and making fun. You're really going to use the phrase mainstream media, Jim? Well, really? well I mean, <laughs> Disney knows it's an easy target. Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, you can, it's, an easy, it's easy to take pot shots at Disney before. I, I do think, and I, and, I, and I say this as no particular fan of the president, mm -hmm. the face is not appropriate. It, just chatting with the folks, it's like, in profile it works. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't check that. But at the same time, it's like, Boy, you know, you get them talking, and this just can of worms opens up. Yeah, they're kind of in a they're kind of in a pickle now if they do pull it out, right? If they do redo it, because if they take the attraction down, then they're basically admitting that the first one wasn't good. There's just there's just a lot that yeah, I get it. I mean, they're they're kind of, they are in a pickle. What are you going to do? One final thing here, though. One of the reasons 
that they have problem to figure is the president loves to be artificially tanned. Mm -hmm. And what they found is when they initially put him in, you know, with his actual in real life skin tone and put him up. He he looked like the second black president. It was (laughs) unfortunate. And in fact, that's one of the reasons why the face doesn't work is that a lot of the coloration that we associate with Trump just isn't there. And that coloration covers a lot of sins. You know, this is a 70-year-old man we're talking about. Right. So that was the thing. When you you, you scraped off all the the makeup and the bronzer, it's just like, whoa. But then he at least fit the the color palette of all the other presidents. In fact, that's the other reason he's not wearing his signature red tie. Oh, really? When Mm. they put him up on stage with that, it was like the combination of the the bronze face and the red tie. And it's like, whoa. So we have 44 chief executives and a parade float from Macy's. And it's just sort of like... (laughs) Trap. Okay, back up the truck, lose the tie, lower the color palette, and then you had this face that didn't look like his face. Uh, I mean, there are technical reasons. So there's combine the uh, the technical reason with the animatronic, yeah, and the way that he uh, the speaking style with the coloration stuff. I can kind of see it. If this is the worst thing that happens. You know, the Hall of Presidents over the next four years, uh, you know, so be it. That's fine. Oh, one other final thing that was mentioned about the update was that supposedly they put these metal pieces in to prevent people from charging the stage and doing God knows what. It's like... Oh, really? Yeah. See, it turns out those have been there since the 70s. You know, just, it's one of these things where it's like, I couldn't get them to confirm that they've been put in because of Nixon. <laughs> One of these things was like, no, those have been there forever. If that isn't a, we're putting in Trump, put up the barbed wire fence. Uh, and again, I apologize. You know, just only after we finished recording the show, it's like, we didn't talk about Trump. We mentioned the entire year of 2017 and somehow overlooked the AA figure. So oh, that's funny. So there you go. And speaking of things, we finally, finally, finally get around to today. We're going to do it, Len. We're going to finish the Spectrum Magic story. All right. So, Jim, let's talk about this. This is part three of our Spectrum Magic show. Where did we leave off last year when we were uh, we were talking about this? I think at, at this point, we need to talk about the gentleman who's most closely associated with the show, and that's Don Dorsey. He's credited as the music designer of the Main Street Electrical Parade, and for a time, Don was in charge of the Spectrum Magic project back when it was called the Electromagic Project. Okay. Don's listed the music designer of the Main Street Electrical Parade, but given that he didn't start at Disney till 75, he couldn't have worked on the original iteration, which ran at Disneyland from 72 to 74. But he okay. was heavily involved in the second generation of the parade, which that debuted in 77, right after American Parade went away and at both Disneyland and, and Disney World. And given how well that version, and this is the one where they went from the flat two-dimensional parade floats to fully dimensional, and Don then becomes the guy at Disney World when it comes to nighttime spectacular. So if you saw... Laser Phonic Fantasy at Epcot or Illuminations or Reflection of Earth or, or Sorcery in the Sky at Disney MGM, you have Don Dorsey to thank. No. So now when it comes time to replace the, the Main Street Electrical Parade, given that Disney World's Magic Kingdom was built at a bigger scale than Disneyland Park out in Anaheim, it, that Don's thinking was that if we're doing a new nighttime parade specifically designed for this particular theme park, he wanted mm-hmm. to seriously up the scale. And so I've got a quote here from an interview that Rick West did with Don for his late great theme park adventures magazine. And this is this talks about the initial development of Walt Disney World's Electromagic Parade. Again, not Spectromagic. 
And Don talked about the thing that I insisted on from the beginning is that we shouldn't repeat what we'd previously done with the Main Street Electrical Parade. This time around, we didn't want to have small units like a single dragon or a single funhouse face or that sort of thing. I wanted large units like Cinderella and Alice in Wonderland's theme sections made up of multiple floats that would then fill up an entire street. So when you did something like that, you'd be able to do one musical idea, but it could last more than a minute. He also wanted each of these uh, the units that were in Electromagic to undergo some sort of a transformation, uh, take advantage of all these new technologies we had at our disposal. So Sleeping Beauty Garden unit, that would go from day to night. The Fantasia unit would unfold and reveal Chernabog, uh, and the finale would go from sparkling silver to all rainbow colors that it would wash starting on the first float all the way back to the back. Folks may remember from the finale of this parade, there was a carousel. And that Don actually talked about how that was one of his bigger disappointments because he said, we've never done anything like that. We've never put a carousel on a float and had it revolve and give that sort of kinetic. It's like a carousel could be fun. We could have characters riding it. And and the design and construction team said, well, it would have to be tiny because in order to sit in a float, it it could only be six feet across. And so Don goes, well, does it have to be round? We could make it rectangular and do sort of a forced perspective squash carousel. And said so the engineering guys, yeah, I guess we could do that. And so it was a challenge. And in the end, it worked. But it only ran for the first 10 days of the parade. Wow, 10 days? Yeah. He said during the first week when the parade was running, it broke. And they never bothered to fix it. They had other problems with the parade that, that became higher priorities and by the time that they circled around to, we should fix the carousel, it was like, we have no money and it will have to stay that way. And I, I can tell you, having been there for the opening night performance, it was impressive. I mean, it did exactly what Don hoped. It added a, a certain level of kinetics to the finale of the parade. But where it got interesting is that Don genuinely believed that he wanted there to be some continuity between, again, Electromagic and the Main Street Electrical Parade. And he was, he fought to keep Baroque Hoedown as the theme. And he said, and they voted me out on that. They literally took him off the project because huh. it was you know, just sort of like, nah, that's an, that's an old fashioned idea. And if you're going to fight for that, we don't want you to be part of this parade. So Wow. So the hill that he chose to die on was Baroque Hoedown. But he was right. When Light Magic opened at Disneyland in 1997, and Mm -hmm. that parade had a brand new score that was written, but midway through that parade, they suddenly do a reprise of Baroque Hoedown. Every night when that happened, the crowds would cheer. Funny. If you watch Paint the Night at Disneyland Park now, that parade's transitioning over to DCA for the, the summer of 2018. But... When that parade quotes Baroque Hoedown, people do go nuts. That, that There's something about that piece of music that Disney fans particularly just love. And he was on the money there. Which isn't to say that Spectral Magic didn't have a wonderful score. I mean, John Denby. John actually has done a lot of work for Disney over the years. He did the music for Emperor's New Groove in 2000, Chicken Little 2005, Hannah Montana movie in 2009. He was behind the music for John Favreau's Jungle Book in 2016. And he's actually, his work is out in theaters right now. He's the, the guy who did the music for uh, 20th Century Fox, The Greatest Showman, the, the P.D. Barnum thing. But back in the early 90s, he had this amazing window at Disney where 
he first did Phantom Manor, the, the score for that. But on the heels of that, he did Hocus Pocus, the film for Disney. And then he gets tapped to do Spectral Magic and, and records this. First time ever Disney had done a parade song in three-quarter time. But he gets a 70-piece orchestra and gets this amazing, rich uh, score. The theme song for it on This Magic Night, he wrote with Steve Scorgia. And John actually talked about how we kind of woodshopped that together. He wrote the lyrics. I kind of wrote the song around the lyrics. And who knew that it would play so long? And huh. also, the whole time Len and I have been recording the series, I have been hammered with emails from, from listeners who all they can think of when they, they hear about Spectrum, they want to talk about the Spectrum men. I was going to say, we're, yeah, let's, let's talk. We're, I was going to say that for the end. Okay, let's talk about the Spectrum men. Okay. The story that the design team came up with for the Spectrum men is that these are the characters who supposedly create the power that powers the Spectrum Magic Parade. So the really for real backstory for this parade is that the Spectrum men are keepers of light who come from the land of Lightspiration. And it was Mickey's suggestion that they join him and the other characters in the parade. And they initially had a little stage fright, but they finally work up the courage to accept the offer. And, and if you can believe it, they have names, Len. <laughs> <laughs> what year was this? This was 1991. Okay. And I was, I was young then, but... Drugs were still illegal in the United States in 1991, Oh, right? I, I don't know about that, Len, when you, you listen to these names. <laughs> apparently not in, certain, apparently not in part, certain parts of Florida. Yeah, okay, the, go ahead. All right. <laughs> the four characters on the light balls, the little spectro man who rode, one was called Hyper Sheet. <laughs> this was someone's job to write this. There we go. We have Lowball, Rapper, low and Lowball, yes. And, and then... And finally, the, the final character was called Opera. Lowball, rapper, opera. And hyper chic. Hyper chic. All right. So the first iteration of the parade, they wore masks that were the luminous plastic that, that were lit from within. And people found them so disturbing that when the parade actually shut down in the late 90s for a year or two, when the characters came back, they had new faces that were a little less nightmarish and a little lit, lit from below. Oh, so these were like clown masks lit from below. Yeah. There were a couple of different configurations. The Spectrumen parade used to start off with two of them on whirly balls, and then there were the Spectrumen trumpeters. Mickey then came rolling on stage and with the Spectro magical cape. And then you had the Spectro magic title float, which for a lot of years... Disney diehards enjoyed because it had the original Disney World logo on it. And it, in fact, that disappeared probably in year 92, 93. But this was the one place in the park where you, you could see the original font and all that sort of thing. Oh, I'm looking at photos of the Spectrum in Jim. And yeah, it's like the masks are Venetian carnival masks. Yes. But with that creepy clown vibe. Yeah. Oh. They also would say these nonsensical phrases. In fact, that's what we got most of our mail about, Len. It's like, what were they saying? For years, I watched this parade and would lean in toward the parade to try to figure out what they're saying. And they're, they're basically saying zoom. Yeah, zoom, 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 zoom. I think they're saying zool from there we go. Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters. <laughs> yeah, these were not child-friendly costumes. No, they were not. Huh. And they played with various different configurations. So the parade initially runs from October 1st, 1991, 
through May of 1999. And then the Main Street Electrical Parade returns for the start of the Millennium Celebration. That was, you know, sort of the a special treat. Sure. Spectro then comes back in March of 2001 and mm-hmm. then continues for another nine years, finally ending its run in 2010. And strictly from a stats point of view, it was an amazing achievement. We're talking 600,000 lights, what was 100 miles of fiber optic cable at that point. And one of the reasons that, that people today still talk about the music for this thing is that there were 204 speakers buried on all these floats. You know, So you got this amazing wow. sound. And there were people within the company who still, who, who loved the show. It's worth noting that in Paint the Night, if you, you hang in there for the, the end unit, you get the whirly balls. Only instead of the Spectroman riding them this time, you get Goofy, Pluto, and Donald. At one point, there was, in fact, a plan that Spectro, like Main Street Electrical Parade, was going to march around the world. It was going to become the replacement parade you, at all the parks. We hear this all the time, though, with Disney parades, that they're going to be shared in different parks around the world. And we seem to get the same couple of parades recycled among the domestic parks. In this situation, let's remember, I mean, this thing opens October of 1991. April of 1992, Euro Disney opens, and almost immediately the financial drag that that causes disrupts so many plans that the company had. And so the plan to create a Spectro for Anaheim and a a plan to eventually create a Spectro for Paris all fall off the table. And that wasn't the only thing that got tripped up by Disneyland Paris, $3 billion. You know, Westcott, which I promise folks, once we start up our chronological Disneyland thing, you know, just like we just now finishing the Spectro Magic story, we will finish the Westcott story and then start to march toward talking about how we got California Adventure. And as we mentioned at the, the top of the show, how that park will be changing significantly over the next five years. Oh, it definitely will. So, Jim, the Spectro Magic, when it ended, we know it's not coming back because the parade floats were definitely destroyed, right? Is that true? Yeah, you know, and, and the interesting thing is that they were parked out back for quite some time. And for a number of the marathons and, and, and that sort of thing, when they'd run you backstage, I guess the units that survived with the least amount of work were from the aerials undersea portion of it especially the the russian nesting doll versions of the fish floats right. they were parked out there for years and years but yeah eventually the guys who were working the parade barns it's like look these are taking up space especially with the main street electrical parade floats being as old as they were needing as much maintenance as they did it's like they look these are the ones that need to be undercover and these are the ones that we need to do the most work on and you're not using this parade anymore and i guess there were in fact conversations about well maybe we could send this to hong kong mm-hmm. but that never happened and yes eventually they all got trashed and, and and thrown in a dumpster and the interesting thing is that disney did not want the collectors to get a hold of these things so oh really yeah it's kind of like what happened with the subs for Twenty Thousand leagues that the notion of Disney saved two or three, but in the end, you know, they, they basically trashed the whole fleet. So I'm always amazed that these outfits that sell Disney theme park memorabilia, it's like, you trash them. Why are they still selling the windows and the seats? And it's like, it's like, well, we allowed people to climb in and out of the dumpsters and they would determine with Spectro, they wouldn't allow that to happen. So 
Ah, uh, okay. So that's why there's not a lot left of the uh, yeah of the parade. But it's definitely not coming back, right? For those people who were horrified of the Spectrum Man, yes, we, we can assure them they're not coming back. The, the lit masks are somewhere six feet down in a, you know, a <laughs> landfill at this point. Remember, a lot of you know, Friday the 13th movies end that exact same way. And <laughs> exactly. So we're one lightning strike at the landfill away from uh, Spectrum Man returning is what I'm hearing from this. We know there we go. About, the, the, uh, about horror movies. That's exactly what it is. Sweet dreams, folks. Okay. You know, just, <laughs> Exactly. I'm gonna post. I'm gonna post some of these photos with the uh, with the show. It's terrifying. Yeah. It's terrifying. All right. So Jim, we'll pick up uh, on the next show with uh, our chronological Disneyland. There we go. All right, folks. That's gonna do it for us on this episode. Don't forget, we are produced fabulously by Aaron Adams. Please go on to iTunes, Stitcher, or you know your local garbage dump uh, where you can find many of our shows and <laughs> tell us what you would like to hear next and rate our show. For Jim, this is Len. We'll see you on that next show.